0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace.
1: And I'm Melissa Topscher with today's stories. India's Supreme Court hears pleas to legalize LGBTQ plus marriages.
0: Dominion settles with Fox News over its airing of vote-rigging claims.
1: Putin visits troops in Russian-controlled regions of Ukraine.
0: McCarthy calls for a 1% federal spending cap as a condition for raising the debt ceiling.
1: A Kansas City man is charged with shooting a black teen.
0: UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak faces an investigation over his wife's childcare firm.
1: US officers responsible for Jalen Walker's killing won't be charged.
0: The US claims China began working on a COVID vaccine before the official outbreak.
1: A new study says a male contraceptive pill could be available in five years.
0: And the Sony World Photography winner turns down his prize after revealing he used AI.
1: In our first story, India's top court hears a plea to legalize LGBTQ marriages. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, The New York Times, Reuters, Business Today, and The Indian Express. On Tuesday, India's Supreme Court began hearing final arguments on a number of petitions from LGBTQ couples and activists seeking to legalize same sex marriage in the country. A five judge constitutional bench, headed by Chief Justice of India D.Y. Chandrachud, is live streaming the debate in public interest as it calls same sex union a seminal issue of great importance. However, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's administration has maintained that marriage is an exclusively heterogeneous institution and argued that the creation of a new socio-legal relationship can only be achieved through the legislature, not the judiciary. The Modi government also said that requests to legalize same-sex marriage are urban elitist views, as it sought the dismissal of the petitions. However, senior LGTBQ advocate, Mukul Rohatki has called for the Special Marriage Act of 1954 which allows the union of intercaste and interfaith couples to be made gender neutral. He has also argued for a revision of the term marriage as between spouses rather than a biological male and biological female. The petitioners have reportedly approached the Supreme Court under several articles of the Indian Constitution, citing that all citizens have the right to move to the top court if their fundamental rights, including the right to equality, are violated.
0: Okay, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were our facts. Let's start the narrative spins with the progressive narrative from Indian Express. It's not a matter of religion, tradition, or social morality. It's about the fundamental rights of citizens, about freedom from stigma and harassment, and about LGBTQ plus couples having the same rights as heterosexual couples. The case has implications not just for LGBTQ plus couples, but also for equality for all citizens under the Constitution at a time when India's democratic values are under attack by right-winger activists attempting to shift the country towards a theocracy.
1: There's also a conservative narrative from Times of India. While the LGBTQ community shouldn't be discriminated against, it's crucial to note that same-sex marriages aren't compatible with the Indian familial unit of husband, wife, and children. Proponents of marriage equality must understand that any attempt to disturb the exclusively heterogeneous institution would cause complete havoc in India's deeply religious society. The ripple effects of legalizing same-sex marriages are difficult to anticipate.
0: And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives from the Metaculous prediction community. This one says there's a 50% chance that the share of people living in countries where same-sex marriage is legal will be at least 16% in 2025. I'm just a, a lay person with an expensive microphone. I think the issue is that marriage is both a legal designation and a religious sacrament. So, but it's the same word for both things, and that's, that's a good I think, point. we get a lot of trouble with that, I think,
1: yeah. can can we separate the two? I mean, but then, what were marriages for? You know, hundreds of years ago, they were really for um promoting your family, right? It's like you sold the woman for the dowry and you got you got more land. I mean, they were business transactions most of the time,
0: the good old days,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, my microphone's more expensive than yours.
0: Next up, Dominion settles with Fox News. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, CNN, NBC News, The Associated Press, and Reuters. Fox News and Dominion voting systems reached a $787.5 million settlement agreement Tuesday afternoon, averting a high-profile trial putting one of the world's top media companies in the crosshairs over its coverage of highly controversial vote-rigging claims in the 2020 U.S. election. The resolution follows a recent summary judgment by Judge Eric Davis, which allowed the case to go to trial. Lawyers and media waited in the courtroom for more than two hours after opening statements were slated to begin on Tuesday afternoon. Davis re-entered the courtroom just before 4 p.m. to announce the settlement with the lead attorneys on the case following close behind. Following the settlement's announcement, Dominion CEO John Paulo said, Fox has admitted to telling lies. Meanwhile, Fox is pleased to have reached a settlement, adding that it acknowledges the court's finding that some of the network's claims about Dominion were false. The resolution came after the jury had sat, but before opening statements began. The amount is significantly less than the $1.6 billion Dominion demanded. On Sunday, the Delaware Superior Court judge overseeing the lawsuit against Fox News announced the start of the trial would be postponed from Monday to Tuesday. Judge Davis didn't provide a reason for the delay.
1: Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that. We'll start our spins with a right narrative from PJ Media. The left's assault on the First Amendment is unrelenting, and it's up to those who know the importance of free speech in the U.S. to defend against attacks like this lawsuit. If Dominion had prevailed, media organizations and publishers would be liable for anything guests on their platforms say or write.
0: And the left narrative comes from CNN. Free speech is not limitless. The political right might build its business model around selling false narratives to its supporters. But cases like this are part of the accountability infrastructure that ensures truth in reporting and an accurately informed citizenry. Uh, My friend texted me about this story earlier and uh, he said, Hey, what about Fox news? Just went to Fox news to find out what he, I didn't know what he was talking about and nowhere on the Fox news site. Could I find anything about this? I didn't even know what he was talking about. I had to go to. Oh yeah. That's been
1: controversial because this has never appeared on Fox News's uh, platform at all, what they're going through.
0: And, And honestly, maybe there's something, you know, like you can't speak about pending litigation. Maybe if a whole network is having pending litigation, you can't speak on it either. I don't know.
1: Right. Right. It it might be a conflict of interest to be reporting on themselves.
0: I mean, ideally, a news outlet should try not to be sued by people would be the f- way to avoid this. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think if I were their PR, I'd say, yeah, we just don't touch this.
0: Uh, I actually have watched Fox News quite a bit recently. They had the big Trump interview, his first interview in a while. and They had the Elon Musk interview, uh, both on Tucker Carlson. And those were both pretty you know, interesting for whatever reason you want them to be interesting interviews. So, uh, you know, still out there. Putin visits troops in
1: Russian-controlled regions of Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Al Jazeera, and the Evening Standard. In footage released by the Kremlin on Tuesday, Russian President Putin visited troops in the regions of Kherson and Luhansk, two of four Ukrainian regions which Moscow claimed to have annexed last year. Although the exact date of the visit couldn't be confirmed, Putin congratulated troops on Orthodox Easter, which was celebrated this past Sunday, and presented them with religious icons. He could be seen telling commanders, it is important for me to hear your opinion on how the situation is developing, to listen to you, to exchange information. Meanwhile, Evan Gershkovich, the detained Wall Street Journal reporter facing charges of espionage, made an appearance at a Moscow court to appeal his detention on Tuesday. The appeal was denied, and he will remain in pretrial detention at the Lefortovo prison until at least May 29th. The U.S. ambassador to Russia, Lynn Tracy, was seen at the hearing. She confirmed she made her first consular visit to Gershkovich a day earlier. She said he was in good health and remained strong. Elsewhere, following a G7 foreign minister's meeting in Japan, the countries agreed to a statement that condemned Russia's stationing of tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. Meanwhile, in the latest intelligence briefing from the UK's defense ministry, it said that Russia was reinforcing Bakhmut with more troops and that it continued to make creeping advances in Donetsk City.
0: All right, Melissa, thanks for that rundown. We continue to have a pro-establishment narrative from PBS NewsHour. This invasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history.
1: And here's the pro-Russia narrative from the National Security Archive. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy.
0: And Metaculus brings us another nerd narrative. They predict that there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will officially recognize a former Ukrainian territory, that's Luhansk, Donetsk, or Crimea, as independent before the year 2024.
1: You know, they say Putin presented them with religious icons, but do do you think it actually was more jovial and they just gave him all an Easter egg, a little plastic oh, Easter egg? Oh,
0: right, right. And in U.S. debt ceiling news, McCarthy calls for a 1% federal spending cap. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, New York Times, Wall Street Journal and ABC News. On Monday, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, pledged to pass legislation to raise the nation's debt ceiling on the condition that future federal spending be capped at 1%. McCarthy said in a speech at the New York Stock Exchange that House Republicans would vote on a measure to lift the debt ceiling into the next year in exchange for freezing spending at last year's levels and other concessions. In addition to limiting federal spending on items such as the military and discretionary programs, the measure would also claw back COVID aid and require Americans to work to receive federal benefits. As the Senate majority and President Joe Biden are opposed to efforts to link the debt limit increase to other fiscal policy changes, the plan would most likely not pass the Senate. Biden and McCarthy haven't spoken or met over the debt ceiling issue since February 1st. After hitting the borrowing limit earlier this year, the Treasury Department implemented special measures to avoid a default. However, without a compromise, the U.S. is predicted to default between July and September.
1: Thanks for unpacking that story, Scott. We'll start with a Republican narrative from Town Hall. While Republicans are sympathetic to Americans' financial struggles, Biden continues to hide from the issue and refuse to negotiate. It's time for the president to lead by coming to the table with McCarthy and for Democrats to acknowledge their reckless spending got the U.S. into this predicament and must be reined in. Tying the debt ceiling to spending levels is the only way to make the country fiscally responsible.
0: And the Democratic narrative comes from Alternet. Republicans are holding the U.S. economy hostage in an attempt to get their way. In his speech, Speaker McCarthy presented an extreme wish list that increases costs for hardworking families taking food stamps and health care away from millions of Americans without actually reducing the deficit. This is dangerous and is what will ultimately lead to a default.
1: There's also a cynical narrative from ABC News. This government paralysis is just one of the many symptoms of a nation plagued by partisan games, with leaders more concerned with tearing each other down than building the country up. As both sides refuse to compromise, the U.S. is creeping closer to the edge of an economic crisis. Something must be done to end this deadlock.
0: And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they say there's a 5% chance the U.S. will default on its sovereign debt before 2024. The thing that disturbs me the most about this story is not the country is spending so recklessly that we're bumping it against the debt limit. And not that none of our politicians can agree about how to deal with it, but that we don't know when we would default sometime between July and September. We haven't worked the numbers yet. Yeah. Can we get it down to like a month or a fortnight of when we're going to run out of money?
1: Yeah. How about uh, How about September? Everyone's going back to school. It's a good time to panic
0: yes i like that so right. just don't Let's, ruin my summer vacation let us have our summer yeah speaking yeah. of ruining summer did you have summer reading when you were in school did you have to read oh, books did they yes. assign you books Ugh. we did i'm pro reading but i'm not pro like dreading the whole summer that i have a you know i have to read uh you know of mice and men uh, yeah you know and it oh, was all- wasn't that bad but, well, we had to read, like, five books. It was crazy. Did that, was that? What, but that's, was, you don't have
1: any other homework to do. It's summer.
0: Know. I'm supposed to be harvesting crops or something. I don't know why we have summer <laughs> break, but it's, there's a reason for it. I just don't know what it is.
1: In our next story, a Kansas City man is charged with shooting a black teen. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NPR Online News, The Wall Street Journal, Fox News, The Telegraph, ABC News, and The Washington Post. A man has been charged with first-degree assault and armed criminal action over the shooting of Ralph Yarl, a 16-year-old black teenager who accidentally went to the wrong address to pick up his younger siblings. Kansas City saw protests erupt over the weekend after news emerged that Andrew Lester shot the unarmed teen in the head and arm. Jarl was seriously wounded and hospitalized after the incident. Jarl, a member of the Technology Student Association and Science Olympia team and a student leader of the marching band, was released from the hospital on Sunday, with reports suggesting he is recovering from his injuries at home. Lester was initially released without charge after 24 hours in custody this move prompted the eruption of protests, with hundreds of protesters marching to the location of the shooting with chants of Black Lives Matter. It was confirmed Sunday that attorneys Lee Merritt and Ben Crump have been retained to represent Yarl's family, who they say are demanding swift action from the Clay County prosecutors and law enforcement. While Missouri homeowners in reasonable fear of unlawful force are allowed to use deadly force in self-defense, Professor Daniel Webster of Johns Hopkins University's Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy said stand your ground laws are complicated and that a justification of I felt threatened is not enough on its own to allow for lethal force.
0: All right. Thanks for those disturbing facts, Melissa. We have a left narrative spin from The Guardian. This despicable act was clearly racially motivated, and it is right that so many activists are demanding justice over this attempted murder. Ringing a doorbell is not a crime, and the unnecessary force used against this unarmed minor is a testament to the threat faced every day by black Americans. The fact that law enforcement originally released Lester without charge is an insult to Jarl's suffering and that of his family. And
1: here's a right narrative from The Daily Caller. Investigators have already said that there is no evidence the shooting was racially motivated. While the possibility hasn't been dismissed, the protesters rallying around Lester's home are inflaming tensions at a time when law enforcement is trying to establish the facts. Officials should be allowed to conduct their investigation without the process becoming warped by external political factors.
0: Sunak faces an investigation over his wife's child care firm. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, BBC News, Independent, The Mirror, and First Post. On Monday, the UK Parliament's Standards Watchdog announced that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is under investigation over a potential failure to declare wife Akshita Murty's shares in a childcare firm. The Watchdog is reportedly probing Sunak under paragraph 6 of the Ministerial Code – which states that members of Parliament must always be open and frank in declaring any relevant interests they hold. The investigation stems from complaints that Sunak did not disclose that Murty held shares in Koru Kids, a child care firm that trains and registers childminders, before his liaison committee hearing appearance on the 28th of March. However, Downing Street maintained that the conflict of interest was declared to the Cabinet Office before the hearing, and that an updated list of ministers' interests would be published soon. KORU Kids will likely benefit from a pilot child care policy unveiled in the government's spring budget last month. The government said it would pay £1,200 to people who train to become childminders through private child care agencies, whereas those training with public providers will receive £600. As such, private firms like KORU Kids are expected to be in greater demand. In December 2020, KORU Kids also allegedly received up to 10,000 pounds of taxpayer money to furlough staff amid the COVID pandemic. Sunak was then the chancellor of the Exchequer, who crafted the government's furlough policy.
1: Thank you, Scott. Here is the left narrative from iNews. This is a huge setback for Rishi Sunak, who had promised to put integrity, professionalism, and accountability at the heart of his administration. He must now explain why he failed to come clean when asked about the shares his family held in a company that is set to benefit from his pilot child care policy. The public wants a government focused on the country rather than one which bends the rules and avoids proper scrutiny for its own financial gain.
0: And there's a right narrative from The Evening Standard. There isn't anything sinister about how Rishi Sunak declared his wife's shares. He did so via a ministerial declaration as opposed to through the commons and he has assured the standards commissioner he will work cooperatively to clear up any outstanding questions. There's no need to doubt Sunak's integrity and ethics.
1: And there's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's an 85% chance that Rishi Sunak will be Prime Minister of the UK on January 1st, 2024. U.S. officers in Jalen Walker's killing won't be charged. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, The New York Times, Reuters, and the Associated Press. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost announced Monday that the eight officers who shot and killed 25-year-old black man Jalen Walker last year won't face charges after an Ohio grand jury found they were legally justified in the fatal shooting. Akron police attempted to stop a vehicle driven by Walker, with police video showing he refused to stop. Officers in pursuit believed that Walker fired a shot at them from the vehicle. After Walker fled the car on foot, officers thought he would fire at them again and thus fired 94 shots, hitting him 46 times. In his announcement, Yost said Walker did fire at least one shot from the vehicle. However, when the officers fired on Walker, he wasn't armed, as he had left the gun inside the vehicle. Attorneys for the Walker family have announced plans to file a civil lawsuit against the city later this year. Meanwhile, Mayor Dan Horrigan, urging for peaceful protests, detailed the police department's intention to carry out its own internal review. This was echoed by Democratic Representative Amelia Sykes of Ohio, who said she would request that the Justice Department also investigate the practices of the Akron Police
0: Department. Somber stuff, Melissa. We have a left narrative spin coming from ABC News. Activists and the public won't be deterred, and the police officers responsible for this heinous crime must face accountability. More broadly, there also needs to be drastic changes made to policing and public safety across the nation, or else the cycle of violence will continue as police become increasingly militarized, more prisons are built, and more black people are incarcerated or murdered. And the Beacon
1: Journal brings us a right narrative. While tragic, the officers who fired on Walker were legally justified in their actions as he posed a deadly threat, as seen by the evidence. Lethal force is sometimes used as a last resort, as was the case here. But it's not the epidemic many claim it to be. In fact, a large majority of officers will begin and end their careers without ever having fired their service weapons.
0: A U.S. government report claims that China began working on a COVID vaccine before the official outbreak. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by The Telegraph, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, and Axios. A U.S. Senate report on the origin of COVID has found that the pandemic was most likely the result of a research related incident in Wuhan, China, adding that Chinese researchers may have begun developing vaccines in November 2019. The 300 page report An expanded version of an interim report released last October claims that the SARS-CoV-2 virus likely first emerged between October 28th and November 10th, 2019, weeks earlier than the Chinese government's timeline. It says that around that time, the Wuhan Institute of Virology put unusual emphasis on raising its biological safety protocols. Senator Roger Marshall, Republican of Kansas, also suggested the possibility of a July or August 2019 lab leak, which would call into question the amount of time it took to predate a February 24, 2020 vaccine patent filed by Chinese military scientist Dr. Zhou Yusin, who later died from unknown causes. The report claims Dr. Zhou's patent included data from blood tests on mice done for vaccine-related experiments and based on interviews with U.S. vaccine developers, represents at least two to three months of vaccine development work. Former GOP Senator Richard Burr, who led the original investigation last year, said the report is credible and worthy of inclusion in the international effort to determine how the pandemic started. It does, however, call the evidence circumstantial. The report also noted that the type of bats carrying the closest virus to COVID lived over 1,000 miles away from Wuhan, and that the lab had collected over 200 coronavirus and that the lab had collected over 200 coronaviruses and employees had been photographed handling bats with inadequate protective gear.
1: Okay, those were the facts and here is a pro-establishment narrative from the Washington Post. There's still no conclusive answer or new evidence as to the origins of COVID. Even the Republican leaders of this investigation, who are anything but sympathetic to China or the public health industry, have acknowledged that if this was a lab leak, which is just one theory, it was unintentional. While biomedical accidents occur in both China and the U.S., and any potential mistakes made in Wuhan must be thoroughly investigated, the COVID origin debate is still ongoing. It's important to gather bipartisan opinions and data from both politicians and medical experts before
0: drawing a final conclusion. And the establishment critical narrative comes from Fox News. The lab leak theory is the only viable explanation at this point, and blame should be cast on the elites of both China and the U.S., Scientists who suggested the validity of the lab leak theory early in the pandemic were immediately labeled conspiracy theorists by U.S. tech companies, corporate media, and intelligence agencies. The CIA, which draws conclusions about thousands of issues every year with a fraction of the evidence, still claims it's unsure about the virus's origins. This was and still is a major cover-up, and Americans deserve to know who in their government has been lying to them on behalf of the PRC. And here's the cynical narrative from Reason.
1: The government and its media allies have always lied to the public, so we shouldn't be surprised that they did it with COVID. This trend of gaslighting the public and then fessing up once a new story makes the headlines has gone on for too long. This is how American politics work. Those in power wield their power to their own advantage, and the powerless public has no say in the matter.
0: Uh, Stories like this are why I'm proud to be a part of this podcast. The issue is so muddied. It's so politicized. It's even the fact that it was politicized has become politicized. Uh, Hopefully on this show and and improve the news, we can hopefully over time suss out what really happened to the world.
1: Right. Oh, there takes a certain amount of uh, detaching from the emotions of your whatever your personal politics are and trying to listen to data, uh, scientific evidence, even if it goes against what you, you know, what your politics are. And, yeah, inserting some nuance back into the world. A male contraceptive pill could be available in five years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Telegraph, WSU Insider, New Atlas, The Daily Mail, and Technology Networks. Researchers at Washington State University say the development of a male contraceptive pill that disables a gene crucial for reproducing sperm may be available in five years. A breakthrough discovery of the so-called ARRDC5 gene is enabling the new pill's progress. University researchers identified the expression of the gene in its testicular tissue of mice, pigs, cattle, and humans. When researchers eliminated the gene in mice, it created infertility only in the males, impacting the mobility and count of sperm. Disabling the gene in mice stopped the production of a protein to develop a condition called oligoasthenoteratospermia, the most commonly found cause of male infertility in humans. The protein caused 98% of the mice's sperm to be incapable of fusing with an egg. The analysis also revealed the tested mice produced 28% less sperm than their counterparts. Researchers say that the pill being developed would not require any hormonal interference and that the process would be reversible. Lead researcher Dr. John Oatley said given sufficient resources, the pill could be available in five to seven years. He stressed the importance of preventing unwanted pregnancies for humanity as a whole. For decades, scientists have sought to develop new male contraceptives, which have been limited to the use of condoms and the surgical procedure of a vasectomy. This has put much of the reproductive responsibility on women.
0: Narrative A comes from the Idaho Capital Sun. A viable male birth control pill is on the horizon, and science is very close to the breakthrough that has been desired for decades. In the wake of last year's Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, reproductive care and contraception have become of even greater importance. The discovery of a gene that can inhibit sperm from fertilizing an egg without hormonal interference can bring a widely sought-after male contraceptive quite soon.
1: Here's Narrative B from the Washington Post. While there is great progress being made in the development of male contraceptive pills, we are quite far from having it available and widely used by men. While many men say they would like to prevent unplanned pregnancies, a large portion hesitate at the idea of taking a novel pill that hasn't been tested. There are multiple hurdles to clear before male contraceptives are a realistic, widely accepted option to prevent unwanted pregnancies.
0: All right, Washington State. Go kooks. All right. Our final story, a photographer admits artificial intelligence created his Sony prize-winning image. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, Euronews, The Daily Mail, Sky News, BBC News, and The Guardian. The winner of a prestigious photography competition is refusing the reward after he admitted that the image was generated using artificial intelligence, or AI. Boris L. Dogson, a German artist won the Sony World Photography Award with a black-and-white image depicting two women from different generations. He has since said he pulled the stunt to test the integrity of the competition and that he hoped it would prompt discussion about the future of photography. In a statement on his website, L. Dogson also asked readers, how many of you knew or suspected that it was AI-generated? He also stated, AI images and photography should not compete with each other in an award like this. AI is not photography. According to the organizer of the Sony Awards, the World Photography Organization, the company was deliberately misled by the artist about the extent of AI involvement in the image's creation. Winners and shortlisted submissions from the Sony Awards will be exhibited at Somerset House in London until the start of May. The news comes shortly after an open letter published by NGO, the Future of Life Institute, expressed concern over a dangerous race in the development of A.I. and called for a pause in the field.
1: Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that very interesting story. And if you get the chance to see this photograph, definitely do so. It is cool. Here is Narrative A from The Guardian. AI systems with abilities exceeding the limits of human capacity are on the horizon. Governments must step in to stop the dangerous A.I. development race between big tech companies. If done at the right pace and with the right regulation, AI could offer unprecedented solutions to humanity, but it could also destroy us unless we intervene
0: now. And narrative B comes from The Spectator. The ramifications of developing AI technology are far too vast to even try to predict, but the positives are just as numerous as the negatives. AI could act to tackle loneliness, solve climate change, and address income inequality. Attempts to stifle the technology will not work, and versions of AI will soon permeate the lives of billions.
1: And there's a nerd narrative from the metaculus Prediction community. It says there's a 50% chance that the first general AI system will be devised, tested, and publicly announced by April 2031.
0: The thing I like about it is it's so perfectly imperfect that it seems real. Like there's flaw there's literally flaws cool looking flaws in the image right it looks like the person behind is not quite ready you know it just it's just like an amazingly perfect yeah she also looks like she's not not right
1: quite there yeah she's not in quite in this photograph you know
0: yep it's very interesting it's i mean it's a really cool image
1: Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.